0: Welcome to the Michigan in Focus Podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at America's Talking.com. That's America's Talking.com. And we ask you to subscribe to Michigan in Focus wherever you listen to your podcast. We're recording today on Thursday, August 4th, 2022 And joining me today is Michigan reporter, Scott McClellan. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bruce. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty well. I understand you celebrated a birthday yesterday. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned about your well-being and your dehydration levels and what have you, because I understand you young folk like to, you know, maybe whoop it up a little bit on your birthday. I know back in back in my era, that's what we did.
1: Yeah, you know, have a beer or two, but it's pretty pretty much it.
0: Okay. Well, great. And everything else in your world is going well? Yep. Okay. Terrific. Okay. Well, let's jump right in, sir. This has been a big, big week here in Michigan. We had our primary on Tuesday. And now we know the results of everything, including uh, the new, newly minted Republican candidate that will be directly opposed to the Democrat candidate, who is our incumbent governor, Gretchen Whitmer. And it's Tudor Dixon. What do we know about Tudor Dixon?
1: Well, she's been a conservative commentator for uh, quite some time. And uh, she has been uh, what endorsed by Trump and the DeVos family. Right. And
0: somehow there's supposed to be some type of war between the DeVoses and uh, former President Trump, which... Uh, I, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Considering Betsy DeVos was the Education Secretary throughout Donald Trump's tenure as president, uh, only leaving shortly after January 6th. So, uh, saying that uh, she could not countenance uh, some of the language that. Uh, the former president was using at that given point in time. But as I understood it, there was nothing really terribly negative between the, the president and his former education secretary. But um, uh, Betsy DeVos, who's probably the most maligned education secretary since there was a cabinet for an education secretary that began with uh, Jimmy Carter but uh, heavily reviled by uh, Democrats and uh, the education community education unions as well but uh, she comes from a family of, of billionaires and uh, they they backed Tudor Dixon who is from their neck of the woods she's from Norton Shores on the, the west side of Michigan so uh She she comes across as very telegenic. Uh, She has a background in communications, corporate communications, as well as uh, uh, conservative commentary and what have you. So uh, is there anything else you can tell me about uh, Ms. Dixon? I mean, she's 45 and uh, and that's about it.
1: Yeah, my big uh, big question is if she will be able to garner the votes to beat out Gretchen Whitmer later.
0: Well, yeah, and and the thing is, I actually read a post from the Michigan Democratic Party, and uh, they were saying, "Well, uh, you know, Tudor Dixon only got X amount of votes in the primary, and look at all the votes that. That, <laughs> that 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 Gretchen Whitmer got." It's like. Yeah, but um, it seems that uh, Governor Whitmer was running unopposed and there were, what was the, the ballot was between, uh, there, there were five people vying for the Republican candidacy and that was Dixon, Kevin Rinke, Garrett Saldano, Ryan Kelly, and Ralph Rabant. So uh, and and that was after several other candidates were booted from the ballot uh, for bad signatures on the petitions for their candidacy to begin with. So that was uh, kind of uh, uh, it, it's been a wild and woolly race thus far, <laughs> but it but it, it barely surprised me that, uh, that Tudor Dixon actually won. It just seemed that, uh, she was the one who grabbed the most attention. She's the one that is, you know, from the West side of the state. And as I said, she's telegenic and she goes up against a, a, a telegenic incumbent. So we're, we're looking at youth and, uh, they're 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 both um, mothers with uh, beautiful families. So we're it it looked like it looks to me like it's going to be a a pretty even matchup. But you know, who's to say? i I'm certainly not a guy with the political crystal ball for Michigan. Much less, any the other place where I happen to hang out, people always ask me, "Well, what do you think?" I'm Like, well, you know what? If I were you, I would take my money and bet it on exactly opposite of what I say. So, who's who's to say? But uh, th- other things that happened in uh, this race, which uh, wasn't terribly surprising, you know, John James, who uh, has run unsuccessfully twice. Against both incumbent Democratic incumbents uh, who are US senators. Uh, he lost to Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters and uh, was uh, third try, was running for the Republican nomination for the uh, new seat that's uh, from the redistricting based on the, the past census. So uh, He is, uh, was it the 10th district or the 9th district? I think it's the 9th. Yeah, 10th district. So uh, he won pretty handily on that. So it looks like uh, John James will be, you know, up against, uh, gosh darn. So, yeah, oh, he'll he'll face uh, Carl Marlinga. Oh, yeah. so if if you know the uh if you're from southeastern Michigan or if you spend any time down there, you'll you'll recognize uh Mr. Marlinga as a former prosecutor and judge. And he, he garnered more than 48% of the votes winning a five-way Democratic primary. So that should be uh a very interesting race to watch. But here's here's another thing that uh, uh you covered prior to the primary. And one of the millage proposals here in Michigan was um, kind of interesting in, in that they were going for a ton of money in Holland, Michigan, for the for uh, broadband build out for the town. So explain a little bit of that, and uh, the, and voters in the area approved it
1: yeah just barely so holland voters approved a 30 million dollar broadband proposal uh, over 30 years to build out citywide fiber optic infrastructure and the measure p- passed by just 213 votes so it really came right down to the wire for this one the millage will levy up to 1.5 mills that's a dollar and 50 cents on each $1000 of taxable valuation uh, on property owners And then for the following time, uh, that millage will be 1.12. So the Holland Board of Public Works plans to break ground in fall 2023 to start laying this cable and finish about two years later in 2025. The Holland Board of Public Works says the network will increase customer choices for high-speed, affordable internet because copper infrastructure currently limits bandwidth and other competition. However, one concern is that taxpayers might have to pay more than the initial $30 million over 20 years of technological advances, uh, even for residents who currently are paying for pre-existing internet. So they're kind of, in a way, they're paying twice for one internet. So one, one, mm -hmm, yeah. Okay, well, I I used
0: to work the uh, internet beat, broadband beat, if you will, for for uh, a think tank based here in the Midwest. And uh, we were typically opposed to public financing for what is essentially Private Internet, and w- there were many reasons behind that. But you're the guy who actually wrote a book on, called Twisted Tech. So, and uh, I know that uh, you've talked with uh, individuals, and you're pretty well versed in some of the writings of some of the free market individuals at uh, think tanks throughout the throughout North America, actually. But uh, here in the state, uh, Jarrett Skorup, from the Mackinac Center has written a, a, very much against this and mm. what are some of the reasons that he enunciates to, uh, to oppose. I mean, on its face, it sounds pretty good. I mean, we're, we're voters and we live in this community and we think, and we have, you know, boy, howdy internet that it's going to be great for new business. Uh, it's going to be great for existing business. It's going to be great for people who are moving here with their families and their children who are, uh, telecommuting to school and, uh, for education purposes. So, you know, the, the hidden cost because it's, it's paid in in your taxes, as opposed to, Cutting a check for a hundred bucks a month to whoever your current internet carrier is. I mean, on its face, it sounds really good, but, but other individuals disagree and their, their, their reasoning is.
1: Jared told me that uh, he called the proposal quote, a bad deal. And that's mainly because the, the proposal asks all taxpayers to subsidize a network used by only a few. So he told me, "quote The vast majority of government-owned networks have failed, and indeed, for this one to be financially viable, it will have to have an unrealistic numbers of customers sign up." End quote.
0: Well, sure, and and okay, and I'll I'll jump in because uh, again, this was kind of my beat for uh, twelve years ago or so, but also the technology changes so rapidly so what is 30 million dollars now you're still going to have to increase and advance and tweak things along the way and that costs a lot of money and where's the money for that going to come from it can't it can't just come from the current millage you're going to have to say in for a penny in for a pound it's $30 million, but over the course of how many years, 30 years,
1: 25, yeah,
0: 25, 25 years. Okay. You get, you know, five years down the road and say, well, you know, this isn't really cutting it. We're going to need to add a couple of, uh, gizmos here and, uh, some widgets there and it's going to cost another $12 million and where's the money going to, oh, we're, we're going to have to apply for another millage and we're going to have to
1: vote on that. And if you just think about the technological progress over the last 20 years, uh, that just gives you a small sliver of, I mean, we we really don't know what internet is going to look like in two decades.
0: Well, yeah. And um, believe it or not, young man, uh, I, I remember a time when there, there was no such thing. And uh, it, so the fact that it has become well, some people would say that it has actually become one-sixth of the U.S. economy. I I know some people, including my friend uh, James Holman at the Mackinac Center, questions me on that. He said, well, you know, that's that's an unsubstantiated claim, and I, I really don't think that you could do a lot of proving on that but there are other things out there that would say yes absolutely so anyway you filed a story as long as we're talking about the internet scott and you are my internet guy okay for those of you think that i'm pulling your leg i absolutely am not scott does know quite a bit about the internet having authored the book twisted tech and uh this is right in his wheelhouse. This, the story that uh, came up this week, 69% of Michiganders are concerned about identity fraud. And we're talking about identity fraud on the internet. We're not talking about, uh, the most recent episode of better call Saul. We're (laughs) talking about, okay, this is not, you know, giving someone a roofie at the bar and then going home, and taking pictures of all of his tax forms and uh, credit cards and what have you. Uh, this this is actually uh, login information uh, for, for government websites. So fill us in a little bit on that, Scott.
1: So a survey from John Zogby Strategies polled 605 likely voters in Michigan between April 29th and June 3rd about digital identity verification in the public sector. They also polled 605 likely voters in Arizona, Georgia, and Ohio. And Zogby said that the results, uh, the voters in these states are, quote, on red alert as to how their data is being used and what the government is doing to identify and stop fraud. So uh, one pretty scary thing about online, losing your identity online, is that it can happen without you even knowing it. Uh, and uh, so the the poll, the people polled said that they actually trusted online retail stores, uh, such as like Amazon, to verify identity better than the public sector. So some of the top results of the poll, 77% of Michiganders said they were, were concerned about selling personal information to third parties. 60% were concerned about the accuracy of government verification process. And 60% were concerned that someone could use their identity to defraud them of government services. And uh, in Michigan, this really hits home because since the COVID-19 pandemic, the state estimates that they lost $8.5 billion to unemployment fraud. Uh, However, uh, LexisNexis, which is a fraud prevention company, estimates that number closer to $11 billion. So, I mean, $1 billion. This $11 billion, wow. and uh, that's just over a couple years. So, I mean, the, the amount of money, um, so the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, for example, their 2020 to 2021 budget was $28.4 billion. Much of that money is uh, spent through money or service transfers, um, such as uh, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, child-dependent programs. So, I mean, if you if we could really crack down on that fraud, we could be saving taxpayers a lot of money.
0: Okay. Well, and there's no shame if you don't know the answer to this, Scott, but mm-hmm. how antiquated are the systems that are being used now at the state?
1: Well, it depends which agency we're talking about. But, uh, for example, with the Michigan Unemployment Agency, uh, they often ask people to submit uh, documents online, but the process can be clunky. Uh, it, you can have technological problems, uh, and it's, it didn't seem to be very good, at least since 2020. There were a lot of fraud. Sometimes people who were literally employed by the unemployment insurance agency were taking part in fraud. So it's it's pretty hard when even the person working for the agency is... Committing fraud, it's hard to tell. It, it really complicates things. Okay, well, um, let's
0: close out with uh, another story that you wrote that has quite a little bit of impact. I and mean, we're talking about COVID, and there was a lot of, of wasteful spending uh, from uh, federal money and state money. There was a lot of fraud. Uh, There's a lot of no nicks doing a lot of no good things. And now, You did a story that's based upon a a FOIA that uh, you sent out to various school districts to see how they spent the federal COVID dollars that they received. And your your first report in a series of upcoming reports, I hope, because these are very, very eye opening, is that Niles Community Schools uh, actually did much of their spending of $4 million on the up and up.
1: Yeah, I I submitted uh, maybe between fifteen to twenty records re- requests seeking expenditure reports. Uh, so Michigan schools, Michigan's more than eight hundred school districts received about six billion dollars of federal taxpayer money to recover from COVID. Uh, but these public information requests are showing that some of the largest school expenditures are categorized as "quote other" and don't necessarily address COVID issues, uh, but. For Niles Community Schools, they responded pretty quickly after I sent in the request. Uh, theirs uh, looks uh, like it was pretty pretty related to COVID. So the school spent about $4 million of COVID money. Uh, it's divided. Uh, th- about $380,000 was spent on cleaning supplies, masks, bottle refill stations, and public relations. $250,000 was spent on 835 Chromebooks and providing hotspots for remote learning. And 66,000 was spent on a COVID liaison. Now there were a couple other categories, Uh, the elementary and secondary school emergency relief, uh, 3 million of that was uh, spent, that's split in half. Uh, 1.5 million compensated uh, for losing 188 students between 2019 and 2020. And uh, other money uh, ensured that they did not reduce staff so they could keep small class sizes.
0: Okay. Um, and, and what do we have to look forward to in this series, Scott?
1: Uh, some some pretty... <laughs> we'll, we'll let the readers decide whether the spending is justified or not. But some of the highlights I've seen so far, uh, a school requested to spend uh, $10,000 on some sort of smoothie station. Uh, I'm trying to to find more information about that. I'm not sure what's special about it or why it costs almost ten grand. But uh, some of these school districts went all out in trying to spend federal COVID relief money on athletics. Um, we're talking pickleball. We're talking building new things. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not oh, sure. Our if our, that...
0: ma- our managing editor will will love that because. It... He, he told us specifically when you uh, came up with this idea to specifically seek out funding for pickleball courts. And sure enough, you're finding them.
1: Not sure if I've ever seen it played, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of very interesting spending that we're going to get requests for in the next two weeks.
0: Well, terrific. Thank you a lot. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate
1: it. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Scott McClellan is the Center Square's Michigan reporter and Michigan in Focus is powered by the Center Square. And you can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's America's Talking.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Listen for another episode of Michigan in Focus next week.